to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, for fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains. Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of his love and wonders wonders of his love joy to the world the lord is come let earth receive her king let every heart prepare him room heaven and Nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Merry Christmas, and welcome to Miss John Z. Johns. Thank you for joining me for story time on Christmas Day. Oh, let's begin. Let's begin with Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And this is a, um, a HarperCollins book. Mm, Christmas. This is the chapter we're reading Christmas. And if you have the book, I am beginning on page 73. So we're not beginning at the beginning of the chapter. In the morning, they all woke up almost at the same moment. They looked at their stockings and something was in them. Santa Claus had been there. Alice and Ella and Laura in their red flannel gowns and Peter in his red flannel nightshirt all ran shouting to see what he had brought. Each stocking, in each stocking there was a pair of bright red mittens and there was a long flat stick of red and white striped peppermint candy all beautifully notched along each side. They were all so happy they could hardly speak at first. They just looked with shining eyes at those lovely Christmas presents. But Laura was happiest of all. Laura had a rag doll. She was a beautiful doll. She had a face of white cloth with black button eyes. A black pencil had made her eyebrows and her cheeks and her mouth were red with the ink made from poke berries. Her hair was black yarn that had been knit and raveled so that it was curly. She had little red flannel stockings and little black cloth gaiters for shoes 
and her dress was pretty pink and blue calico. She was so beautiful that Laura could not say a word. She just held her tight and forgot everything else. She did not know that everyone was looking at her till Aunt Eliza said, Did you ever see such big eyes? The other girls were not jealous because Laura had mittens and candy and a doll. Because Laura was the littlest girl, except baby Carrie and Aunt Eliza's baby, Dolly Varden. The babies were too small for dolls. They were so small they did not even know about Santa Claus. They just put their fingers in their mouths and wriggled because all of the excitement. Laura sat down on the edge of the bed and held her doll. She loved her red mittens and she loved the candy, but she loved her doll best of all. She named her Charlotte. Then they all looked at each other's mittens and tried on their own, and Peter bit a large piece out of his stick of candy. But Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura licked theirs to make it last longer. Well, well, Uncle Peter said. Isn't there even one stocking with nothing but a switch in it? My, my, have you all been such good children? But they didn't believe that Santa Claus could really have given any of them nothing but a switch. That happened to some children, but it couldn't happen to them. It was so hard to be good all the time, every day, for a whole year. You mustn't tease the children, Peter, Aunt Eliza said. Ma said, Laura, aren't you going to let the other girls hold your doll? She meant, little girls must not be so selfish. So Laura let Mary take the beautiful doll, and then Alice held her a minute, and then Ella. They smoothed the pretty dress and admired the red flannel stockings and the gaiters and the curly woolen hair. But Laura was glad when at last Charlotte was safe in her arms again. Pa and Uncle Peter had each a pair of new warm mittens knit in little squares of red and white, and Ma and, uh, and Aunt Eliza had made them. Aunt Eliza had brought Ma a large red apple, stuck full of clothes, how good it smelled. And it would not spoil, for so many clothes would keep it sound and sweet. Ma gave Aunt Eliza a little needlebook she had made with bits of silk for covers and soft white flannel leaves into which to keep the needles. The flannel would keep the needles from rusting. They all admired Ma's beautiful bracket, and Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter had made one for her, of course with different carving. Santa Claus had not given them anything at all. Santa Claus did not give grown people presents, but that was not because they had not been good. Pa and Ma were good. It was because they were grown-up, and grown-up people must give each other presents. Then all the presents must be laid away for a little while. Peter went out with Pa and Uncle Peter to do the chores, and Alice and Ella helped Aunt Eliza make the beds, and Laura and Mary set the table while Ma got breakfast. For breakfast, there were pancakes, and Ma made a pancake man for each one of the children. Ma call, called each one in turn to bring her plate, and each could stand by the stove and watch while, while the spoonful of batter Ma put on the arms 
and the legs and head. It was exciting to watch her turn the whole little man over quickly and carefully on a hot griddle. And when it was done, she put it smoking hot on the plate. Peter ate the head off his man right away. But Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura ate there slowly in little bits. First the arms and legs and then the middle, saving the head for last. Today the weather was so cold that they would not play outdoors. But there were the new mittens to admire and the candy to lick and they all sat on the floor together and looked at pictures in the Bible and pictures of all kinds of animals and birds and Pa's big green book. And Laura kept Charlotte in her arms the whole time. Then there was the Christmas dinner. Alice and Ella and Peter and Mary and Laura did not say a word at table for they knew that children should be seen and not heard. But they did not need to ask for second helpings. Ma and Aunt Eliza kept their plates full and let them eat all the good things they could hold. Christmas comes but once a year, said Aunt Eliza. Dinner was early because Aunt Eliza, Uncle Peter, and the cousins had such a long way to go. Best the horses can do, Uncle Peter said. We'll hardly make it home before dark. So as soon as they had eaten dinner, Uncle Peter and Pa went to put the horses to the sled while Ma and Aunt Eliza wrapped up the cousins. They pulled heavy woolen stockings over the woolen stockings and the shoes they were already wearing. And they put on mittens and coats and warm hoods and shawls and wrapped mufflers around their necks and thick woolen veils over their faces. Ma slipped piping hot baked potatoes into their pockets to keep their fingers warm and Aunt Eliza's flat irons were hot on the stove, ready to put at their feet in the sled. The blankets and the quilts and the buffalo robes were warmed too, so they all got into the big bobsled, cozy and warm, and Pa tucked the last rope well in around them. Goodbye! Goodbye! They called, and off they went, the horses trotting gaily and their sleigh bells ringing. In just a little while, the merry sound of the bells was gone, and Christmas was over. But what a happy Christmas it had been. Such a sweet, sweet story. And now we shall finish The Tailor of Gloucester. Ha ha. I wonder what Simpkin is up to. I think he's probably up to something naughty. The Tailor of Gloucester, Beatrix Potter, F. Warren and Company. The little mice came out again and listened to the tailor. They took notice of the pattern of that wonderful coat. They whispered to one another about the taffeta lining and about little mouse and tippets. And then all at once they all ran away together down the passage behind the wainscot, squeaking and calling to one another as they ran from house to house and not one mouse was left in the tailor's kitchen when Simpkin came back with a pipkin of milk. Simpkin opened the door and bounced in with an angry growl, like a cat that is vexed. For he hated the stove, and there was snow in his ears, and snow in his collar at the back of his neck, and he put down the loaf and the sausages upon the dresser and sniffed. Simpkin, said the tailor, where is my twist? But 
Simpkin set down the pipkin of milk upon the dresser and looked suspiciously at the teacups. He wanted his supper of little fat mouse. Simpkin, said the tailor, where is my twist? But Simpkin hid a little parcel privately in the teapot and spit and growled at the tailor. And if Simpkin had been able to talk, he would have asked, where is my mouse? Alas, I am undone, said the tailor of Gloucester and went sadly to bed. All that night long, Simpkin hunted and searched through the kitchen, peeping into cupboards and under the wainscot, and into the teapot where he had hidden that twist, but still he found never a mouse. Whenever the tailor muttered and talked in his sleep, Simpkin said, and made strange, horrid noises as cats do at night. For the poor old tailor was very ill with fever, tossing and turning in his four-post bed, and still in his dreams he mumbled, No more twist! No more twist! All that day he was ill, and the next day and the next, and what should come of the cherry-colored coat? In the tailor's shop in Westgate Street, the embroidered silk and satin lay cut out upon the table, one and twenty buttonholes. And who should come to sew them? When the windows was barred, and the door was fast locked? But that does not hinder the little brown mice. They run in and out without any keys through all the old houses in Gloucester. Out of the doors, the market folks went trudging through the snow to buy their geese and turkeys and to bake their Christmas pies, but there would be no Christmas dinner for Simkin and the poor old tailor of Gloucester. The tailor lay ill for three days and nights, and then it was Christmas Eve, and very late at night. The moon climbed up over the roofs and chimneys and looked down over the gateway into College Court. There were no lights in the windows, nor any sound in the houses. All the city of Gloucester was fast asleep in the snow, and still Simpkin wanted his mice, and he mewed as he stood beside the four-post bed. But it is in the old story that all the beasts can talk in the night between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in the morning, though there are very few folk that can hear them, or know it, it, what it is they say. When the cathedral clock struck twelve, there was an answer, like an echo of the chimes. And Simpkin heard it, and came out of the tailor's door and wandered about in the snow. From all the roofs and gables and old wooden houses in Gloucester came a thousand merry voices singing the old Christmas rhymes, all the old songs that ever I heard of and some that I don't know, like Whittington's Bells. First and loudest, the cocks cried out, Dame, get up and bake your pies. Oh, dilly, 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 sighed Pumpkin. And now in a garret, there were lights and sounds of dancing, and cats came from over the way. Hey, diddle, diddle, the cat and the fiddle. All the cats in Gloucester, except me, said Simpkin. Under the wooden eaves, the starlings and sparrows sang of Christmas pies. The jackdaws woke up in the cathedral tower, and although it was the middle of the night, the throstles and robins sang. The air was quite full of little twittering tunes, but it was all rather provoking to poor hungry Simpkin. Particularly, he was vexed with some little shrill voices from behind a wooden lattice. I think that they are bats, because they are always have very small voices, especially in a black frost, when they talk in their sleep like the tailor of Gloucester. 
They said something mysterious that sounded like Buzz quoth the blue fly, hum quoth the bee. Buzz and hum they cry, and so do we. And Simpkin went away shaking his ears as if he had a bee in his bonnet. From the tailor's shop in Westgate came a glow of light, and when Simpkin crept up to peep in at the window, it was full of candles. <gasps> there was snippeting of scissors and snappeting of thread, and little mouse voices sang loudly and gaily. Four and twenty tailors went to catch a snail. The best man amongst them durst not touch her tail. She put out her horns like a little Kylo cow. Run, tailors, run, or she'll have you all in now. Then without a pause, the little mouse voices went on again. Sieve, my lady's oatmeal, grind my lady's flour, put it in a chestnut, let it stand an hour. <coughs> Interrupted Sumpkin. And he scratched at the door, but the key was under the tailor's pillow. He could not get in. The little mice only laughed and tried another tune. Three little mice sat down to spin. Puss, pussy passed by and she peeped in. What are you at, my fine little men, making coats for gentlemen? Shall I come in and cut off your threads? Oh no, Miss Pussy, you'd bite off our heads. Meow, 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 cried Simpkin. Hey, diddle dinkity, answered the little mice. Hey, diddle dinkity, poppity pet, the merchants of London, they wear scarlet, silk in the collar and gold in the hem, so merrily march the merchant men. They clicked their thimbles to mark the time, but none of the songs pleased Simpkin. He sniffed and mewed at the door of the shop. And then I bought a pipkin and a popkin, a slipkin and a slopkin, all for one farthing. Upon the kitchen dresser, added the rude little mice. <coughs> Scuffled Simpkin on the windowsill while the little mice inside sprang to their feet and all began to shout at once in little twittering voices, No more twist! No more twist! And they barred up the window shutters and shut out Simpkin. But still, through the nicks in the shutters, he could hear the clicks of thimbles and little mouse voices singing, No more twist! No more twist! Simpkin came away from the shop and went home, considering his mind in, in his mind. He found the poor old tailor without fever, sleeping peacefully. Then Simpkin went on tiptoe and looked, took a little parcel of silk out of the teapot and looked at it in the moonlight, and he felt quite ashamed of his badness compared with those good little mice. And when the tailor woke in the morning, the first thing which he saw upon the patchwork quilt was a skein of cherry-colored twisted silk, and beside his bed stood the repentant Simpkin. Alas, I mourn to a raveling, said the tailor of Gloucester, but I have my twist. The sun was shining on the snow when the tailor got up and dressed and came out into the street with Simpkin running before him. The starlings whistled on the chimney stacks and the throstles and robins sang, but they sang their own little noises, not the words they had sung in the night. 
Alas, said the tailor, I have my twist, but no more strength nor time than will serve to make me one single buttonhole. For today is Christmas Day in the morning. The mayor of Gloucester shall be married by noon, and where is his cherry-colored coat? He unlocked the door of the little shop in Westgate Street, and Simpkin ran in like a cat that expects something. But there was no one there, not even one little brown mouse. The boards were swept clean, the ends of the thread and the little silk snippets were all tidied away and gone from off the floor. But upon the table, oh, joy. The tailor gave a shout. There where he had left plain cuttings of silk, there lay the most beautifulest coat and embroidered satin waistcoat that ever were worn by a mayor, mayor of Gloucester. There were roses and pansies upon the facings of the coat and the white waistcoat was worked with poppies and cornflowers. Everything was finished except just one single cherry-colored buttonhole. And where that buttonhole was, there was pinned a scrap of paper with these words in little teeny weeny writing. No more twist. And from then began the luck of the tailor of Gloucester. He grew quite stout and he grew quite rich. He made the most wonderful waistcoats for all the rich merchants of Gloucester and for all the fine gentlemen of the country round. Never were seen such ruffles or such embroidered cuffs and lappets. But his buttonholes were the greatest triumph of it all. The stitches of those buttonholes were so neat, so neat. I wonder how they could be stitched by an old man in spectacles. With crooked old fingers and a tailor's thimble. The stitches of those buttonholes were so small, so small. They looked as if they had been made by little mice. What a sweet story on Christmas Day. Can you imagine getting married on Christmas Day? That would actually be so sweet, wouldn't it? Um, and I would encourage you, as I encourage you to uh, make your, your book collection of all of the books that I read, I would especially encourage you to um, consider the Beatrix Potter collection uh, because the illustrations, the pictures are so beautiful. Um, one of my favorites um, is Her Bumblebee, which is in every single book at the very beginning. But you're missing out. You need to see the beautiful, beautiful um, coat and waistcoat um, pictures that she actually painted. You know, she's a watercolorist. Anyway, I will not go on. Thank you for listening. Have a very merry, merry Christmas, and please continue listening as I um, will have many, many more Christmas episodes. Bye!